did you and I call the W and J Mary Harden Baylor game together, or did I call that with somebody else? That was the day my son was born, fifty two sixteen. Okay, so I called that with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to. I was supposed to go, and Nate was born that day, and I was kind of between me and you. <laughs> I was kind of resentful <laughs> at first, but then I remember seeing the final score, and my son, he's he turned out to be pretty good. So I, I don't, re- I don't regret missing that game. Shit, I wish I was recording that. Yo, the speed piece of their punt returner, that guy. Whoa. Uh, holy buckets. And we do that on film as well. To finally uh, beat Wisconsin Whitewater, which has been obviously a very difficult task, uh, is, is very rewarding for all of us. We're, we're not a field goal team. We're going to try to score touchdowns. We went for some things that didn't work out. I thought, I thought really our first two drives of the third quarter, we had some opportunities there. There's, you're eliminating the guy who's handing the ball off, so um, it's difficult for the defense to get enough guys at, at the point of attack to defend the, the run game uh, when you go to that. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, 12th season of podcasting, 20th season of covering Division Three football, and now we'll be in our second season of covering Mount Union and Mary Harden Baylor against each other in the Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl. We welcome you to podcast number 231, where we're going to talk about the semifinals week 15 of the 2018 Division Three football season. This is your podcast for December 10th of 2018. And in the open, you heard uh, in order... You heard Kevin Bullis, then you heard Pete Fredenberg, uh, you heard Jim Margraff, and then you heard Vince Karras kind of running down uh, those things that happened on Saturday in Division Three. Speedy punt returner finally getting the, the Warhawk off their back, Johns Hopkins with some missed opportunities, uh, and the run game down the stretch for uh, for Mount Union. Keith, we're going to talk about all of those things, and we'll bring in a guest to kind of talk about X's and O's, but first off, We've got this. Uh, we've got this great uh, national championship game coming up. Yeah, we got a rematch, Pat. But it's an excellent game. It it, it really has the opportunity to let Division Three shine, right? You're putting your best two feet forward when you when you get on national television for the Stag Bowl, and it's you couldn't ask for two better programs to be out there representing Division Three. Now, 248 seasons are over, and so there are plenty of people out there who follow Division Three with all their heart this year. And we'll tune in to us on Friday night, Yes, you know, with like mixed feelings. Like, hey, I'm happy to see D3 um, getting its shine, but I'm rooting against one of these teams or I'm rooting for one of these teams because the other team always wins or whatever. But it, it really is, I, I think it has the opportunity to be a, a great game. These two teams always play uh, exciting games when they when they get together. And because the the, the stylistically they're actually similar in a lot of ways, uh, this these two editions of of the Purple Raiders and Crusaders, I think it could actually be a, a really exciting stag bowl, if not one for the ages. It it won't take much to be more exciting than last year's national championship game between these two teams. Of the four games that these two have played so far, that was by far the least entertaining, if nothing else, let's put it that way. A game which was won by Mount Union by the score of 12 nothing. Uh, there was that 14-12 semifinal in 2016 the uh, the 2012 game in which uh, Mount Union scored the winning touchdown with five seconds left, 
And then, uh, of course, that uh, 2004 semifinal, which got Mary Harden-Baylor to its first Stag Bowl, in which the crew scored 17 points in the fourth quarter and won in the snow at Alliance, Ohio. Yeah, I mean, those games all have these memorable, epic moments. It, literally, they are painted or maybe photographed on the walls of uh, the respective yeah. buildings. When you when you go uh, into the building in the cathedral, there's a there's a 2004 photo of the uh, Walter Sharp catch, and then at Mount Union, I guess they just have the players from each year on the on the steps up to the the, the spots. But these games that they've played really have stood out. And then you go to that Stag Bowl last year, and you're like, all right. T- Seriously, Pat, you and I covered this game. Mm-hmm. Name me the play that stands out to you. The safety. Third down and 10. Robinson looking to throw. Now being chased out of the pocket, and he is going to get sacked, and the Mount Union defense is coming up big with the safety. And they're going to go up 12 nothing. Carl Robinson, the third, has to know. Can't hold the ball there. Now, also, you can't force it into coverage either, so if there's nothing open, he tries to pull it down and make something happen and roll out there, and it was Nick Brish who played Carl Robinson well on that play, made the tackle for the safety, and now Mount Union's defense is taking over. I'm glad you had one on the tip of your tongue. I don't have a lot of them. It's the only one I have, so yeah, it'll have to do. I was going to say, Carl Robinson III was the quarterback for Mary Harden-Baylor. He's no longer with the program. D'Angelo Fulford made... Um, I believe one really key touchdown throw to Justin Hill late in that game. And uh, that put some distance between them, but it was like a three zero or two. What was it? Five. I don't know what it was, but it was, for a long time in that game, it was basically like first team to score a touchdown wins. And it turned out to be Mount Union. Yeah, there was a game in which he went to 12 for 21 passing for 137 yards, got picked off a couple times, ran for 27 yards. We'll talk a little bit more about D'Angelo Fulford's performance is uh, performance on Saturday, his performances in some key games this season as we come up to it. Uh, we'll also give you our game balls and, uh, you know, Kevin Neas, who is a, a longtime friend of the podcast. And if you recognize him, uh, I'll introduce him later. I don't have to introduce him now because I probably would just say the exact same thing twice. But Keith, you were in Alliance, Ohio. Ohio, 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 Ohio. I was in Belton, Texas. You know, the days of us going to one game and broadcasting it are kind of over. That's not really, uh, you know, it's not really helpful anymore to have another audio broadcast of a game that's on ESPN or on, ES, or on ESPN3. But uh, that means that we both at least come away with something in person that we can take into this podcast and Friday's podcast and Friday's game. Yeah, it really gives me the opportunity personally to watch the game and then watch it from field level. I did that for about say the first 20 minutes of uh, of Johns Hopkins at Mount Union until it got to the point. And this is when I knew I needed to go back up to the press box. I was typing, I was typing a tweet and, you know, I, my fingers are freezing and, I, and I'm at least still spelling things correctly. And then my phone just closed Twitter. It was like, nah, time to go up to the box, man. This is too much. Let's stop. <laughs> 31-14, Mary Harden-Baylor advances past UW-Whitewater and 28-20 to for Mountain Union over Johns Hopkins. We'll talk a little bit more about each of those games coming up in just a couple of minutes, but I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently looking for sponsorship, although maybe not much longer. I talked to some people down in Texas, but there's still spots you could outbid these people to reach an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, 
influencing decisions to replace turf or, you know, purchase a scoreboard or, you know, lots of big money things going on at Division Three schools these days. We haven't even talked about weight rooms. We're still, you know, kind of going through the next wave of the weight room re- resol- resolution, revolution. You can do uh, all of those things and reach those people by sponsoring this podcast. Keith and I would wax poetic about your product or your service right here before going to break. So think about it and drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. I'm actually kind of happy that, uh, you know, we'll have done 43 podcasts or something like that in the calendar year of 2018, and then we'll be doing like one a month from January through August, barring, you know, breaking news. But uh, it's been a great season, a great 2018 year for the podcast, and a great uh, 2018-19 podcast season as well. So get in now. Now it's time for game balls. And Keith, I'm going to give my game ball to Mark Keith Miller. I really tried to spread this around. I kept looking at guys on defense, but I kept coming back to Miller, who had 91 rushing yards and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter alone of that 31-14 win for Mary Harden Baylor against the Warhawks. So Whitewater got to see up close and personal how Miller works, how patient he is to find running lanes, and here's Bryce Lashinsky with his take on Miller. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're pretty gap-sound defense, and um, you know, when, you, when you're facing a running back that's very patient like that, uh, it's kind of hard to hold your gaps for, for a long period of time. And, you know, some creases will just open up, and he did a great job of finding those creases and, and you know, breaking us down a little bit up front. Yes, you say, give me the ball, and I'll, I'll get you there to stack goal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't say all that, but I just knew that. <laughs> I just knew as a leader of this team, leader, leader on the offense, that I just wanted to provide that spark. I knew once I get going, He'll be able to waste out some clock with some first key first downs and be able to ride the wave and end up being great in the second half. Pat, for my game ball, it's going to be from Mountain Union, and you really have four legitimate candidates. Uh, Josh Petroselli, Gabe Brown, Trevor Cox, who uh, the two guys who had defensive touchdowns, and, uh, and the person I'm eventually going to pick. I'm going to rule out the defense because there were um, – Five Mountain Union defenders that had seven or more tackles. Mountain Union had six sacks on Saturday, and they came from six players. The two defensive touchdowns, Gabe Brown and and Trevor Cox, huge plays in the game, obviously not just because they put points on the board, because they were both both cases were momentum changers. They happened deep uh, in in Johns Hopkins as Johns Hopkins was driving, looking like they were going to score. Both interceptions uh, really flipped the, the momentum of the game. But that was only one play. The defense played well across the board. I, I thought the guy who stood out most was was wide receiver Justin Hill. He had five catches, 93 yards, two touchdowns. Both of his touchdowns one, were were big times in the game. The, the first one was on the first drive, and uh, I was actually standing on the sideline at this point. I saw Johns Hopkins defensive coordinator make a call. I thought, oh, they're doubling Justin Hill at this point. Whatever they actually were told, Nobody covered Justin Hill. He runs into the end zone. Fulford spotted it right away. Just lost a nice floater in there for the first touchdown. The second one came again. This game was a bit of a struggle for Mountain Union. It was 14-6, third quarter. Finally got some some passing uh, going. And Fulford went five for five on the drive, finished the drive with a uh, with a touchdown to Hill. And uh, there was a play just before that that everybody in the press box was just head over heels about. Uh, they hit the fullback down the seam, Joe Fanaro. First catch the guys made all year, but they say he catches it all the time in practice and they just, you know, don't, they have so many weapons and 
they they just rarely ever have a chance to get on the ball. So they they did that with him, and then they were able to to score with Hill. I thought they could have thrown it to Justin Hill a lot more. I thought he was open a ton. I think he's the kind of guy who, if you have nothing, uh, if your offense is struggling, you can just take a shot, one play, let him try to run by run by a defensive back, and if he can't run by the guys on Mary Harden Baylor, maybe he can out jump them. So I think there are going to be points in the game on on Friday night. Mountain Union struggling, or if they are, um, if they can't run the ball, if they a couple of incomplete passes in a row, they're just going to start a drive by taking a shot to Justin Hill. They're just going to, in the red zone, inside the 10-yard line, throw a fade to Justin Hill. I, I think he's that kind of talent. And uh, and if they – if I don't – again, I don't know if Jared Ruth is back, but if they get him back, they, that kind of gives them one on each side, and it really opens up the Mountain Union offense. But if, if Ruth doesn't play, um, there are going to be times where they, they just need to go to Justin Hill. He was able to do that against Johns Hopkins on Saturday. Just make a play when they needed to play. Again, only five catches, but 93 yards, which is 18.6-yard average, two touchdowns. He gets my very long-winded game ball. Now we're going to be joined by Kevin Neas. And Kevin, of course, as you remember, if you've been a frequent podcast listener, is a former Division Three quarterback, played at Thomas Moore. Uh, we often call on him uh, sometimes off the air and occasionally on the air for X's and O's type stuff. And uh, uh, Kevin, we appreciate that you were able to watch both games on Saturday and then can talk with us a little bit about that. So thanks a lot for joining us. Yep, thank you. So we're going to start with the Mountain Union Johns Hopkins game. A lot of interesting stuff going on in that game. Of course, Kevin, what was your take first off on what you saw on, uh, on, the, on the video stream? Well, what I thought was really the Mount Union defense stood out with their 4-2-5 alignment is to force uh, – the run uh, side to side instead of getting yardage um, against the defense. So they, they did a great job. It was under a yard per carry average. And, and that's really what stood out to me, how athletic and how quick they are. And of course they'll need to be this coming week. So Kevin Johns Hopkins had a tough time running the ball like on Mount Union's defensive front. But I also thought Mountain Union had a tough time running the ball straight ahead. They were able to run out of the direct snap package to Josh Petroselli. And D'Angelo Fulford made a couple of things happen. One time when uh, when there were nothing, nothing open downfield, he was able to scramble. And a couple one time he kept it on, uh, on Reed for a long run. But do you think my logic, and I had this thought early in the game, and then I had it again later in the game. And you tell me if this if this seems like something you you would take away from the game or not. But I, I was thinking, if Mountain Union can't run straight ahead against Johns Hopkins, how's it going to run on Mary Harden Baylor? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think you'll you'll see a difference in speed. Obviously, uh, Johns Hopkins did have good size, um, but absolutely they will have problems running running straight against the uh, the Mary Harden Baylor defense. And, and Mountain Union finished with 165 yards rushing, so it, it looked like a pretty good day running the ball, but averaging just around uh, four yards per carry for uh, for Petroselli, who had 28 carries for 110, I believe. And um, again, they they got creative. They were able to move the ball. They tried to uh, even jet sweep at one time to DeMarco Haynes, who's like a, a little bit of a shifty wide receiver. So not every play has to be a you know a basic whatever power trap stretch run right whatever but i feel like for mountain union to really get its offense going especially because they were missing two of their best um passing threats or receiving threats in the game yesterday uh jared ruth was out again and i have no idea if he'll be back on friday and then the tight end cole moxie 
wasn't playing as well. So if Mountain Union is able, wants to get into its whole offense, it would love to be able to establish the run early. What did you take away from from their offense and how they ran it yesterday? Well, I, I don't think they were as consistent as you said running the ball. There were a lot of carries that were zero, one, zero yards, and then Petroselli break a fifteen yard run. Um, I also uh, Fulford is obviously not healthy, so they're obviously not at full strength right now. They're missing a receiver, so it, to me, it, it appeared that they were just trying to survive the game. Yeah, and and I mean their defense is good enough where. They can A, survive, right? They can win low-scoring games, but also the defense put two touchdowns on the board yesterday. They've scored 15 times this season. And if you contrast that with uh, with the Mary Harden-Baylor game, which also featured a defense that was that was uh, generated turnovers in big moments, I feel like that's not something you can necessarily count on going into a stag bowl, right, that you're going to get turnovers. But what did you feel? What? How did you feel the the Mountain Union defense played when the offense struggled? I feel like the defense played pretty well. They they really seemed to focus. Now they did give up some plays here and there, obviously um, to Johns Hopkins to allow them to re-enter the game. I guess you would say, um, but uh, that's going to happen today with these spread offenses. You're spread out all over the field you're going to give up some plays and you have to be very resilient as a defender. And it, that, that's the thing that I would point to uh, as a Mount Union. Uh, if, if I was a Mount Union fan, I would say that the defense was resilient. They rose up when they needed to. And the, really the game really wasn't in any doubt. Yeah, that's actually a great point that Gabe Brown, before he had the big interception return where, where Johns Hopkins is driving with the chance to tie the game in the fourth quarter, it's 21-13 at that point. So if Hopkins scores and, and goes for two, you know, they would they would be tied at Mount Union in the fourth quarter, right, which is something that, that would amaze some people. Gabe Brown gets a pass interference call that I actually didn't think was pass interference, but he got called for it. And then five plays later, he comes up with that with the interception along the sideline that, that – uh, tilted the game in in their favor. If you were a person who only watches Mount Union during the semifinals when they're on ESPN and then in last year's Stag Bowl and then this semifinal, what's your impression of of D'Angelo Fulford? Because he's had Um, some great game. He had a great game against uh, Oshkosh to help lead the comeback, and then he struggled in the Stag Bowl last year. And, of course, he he played a bunch of games in between now and then, but if you're a person who just – the last game, the last two games of his that you saw would be the Stag Bowl and this one. What would your impression be? The impression would be um, a bit of a regression on his part. And I hate to say that, you know, the, the competition also had something to do uh, Fair. with with how he was how he was playing. But, um, you know, it's been it's it's been said that his mechanics aren't the best, but um, I, you know, I'm, I remain impressed with his on the timing routes. He's able to throw those outs right on time, right at the sticks, at the um, at the out of bounds line. So, um, you, you know, it just seems like he's not been able to connect on these deep balls. He threw the interception in the end zone, and so I, I think that's the big difference and what people are missing um, as far as compared to how he played last year against Oshkosh. Yeah, I mean, I think he he really needs to have his best game on the biggest stage. Uh, this year. And, and I do think you make a great point that the competition gets better. The defenses get faster and throws that you can make against Muskingum in week eight or whichever week they play Muskingum, right? Things you can get away with late, late throws over the middle, um, throwing a jump ball in the end zone. You may be able to get away with those in the regular season against uh, 
teams that are somewhat talented, but you're not going to be able to get away with it against Mary Harden Baylor. So he's going to have to be sharp. And uh, for his sake, I hope he gets his uh, his two weapons back in, in Jared Ruth and Cole Moxie because Justin Hill was excellent yesterday, and uh, Luke Harrington remains um, a, a weapon down the field as well. So if he has all his guys with uh, with Demarco Haynes in there as well, and then Petroselli in the backfield, I, you know, for Mount Union fans, they want to they want to see the Purple Raiders at full strength. And we'll come back to Kevin in uh, just a couple of minutes to talk about the next game. But uh, Keith, you know, we talked a little bit about D'Angelo Fulford's performance on Saturday, and I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. Also, in terms of, you know, kind of, again, the other big games, you mentioned, of course, the semifinal uh, and the final from last year. But uh, you know, a reminder that we talked about this before, but it was 15 of 38 against uh, John Carroll, 10 of 23 against Muhlenberg. And then you can combine that with the 12 of 23 on Saturday and the four turnovers. I don't know if it matters whether he's completely healthy or not. It's just really not playing well against the best opponents on the Mountain Union schedule right now. Yeah, I mean, let's take, let's take this one thing at a time. The four turnovers Saturday were... Maybe the reason Johns Hopkins was in the game at points where Hopkins had had made its own breaks and then and then breaks went against him. So um, Hop, it's seven zero for most of the first half. Hopkins is driving. They get the tip ball interception. Uh, Trevor Cox takes it ninety yards for a touchdown. Mountain Union's up fourteen zero in a game that at that point is essentially statistically even. Hopkins brings back the kickoff. They get a penalty uh, late on the kickoff. Takes the kickoff off the board. Moves it out to the twenty or thirty. They. Uh, False start, get a sack, whatever, move out of field goal range, end up hunting. Then, you know, you think, oh man, it's another. Hopkins had, had just got this great break. Um, they gave it back. They get no points out of it, or they missed. They missed a field goal attempt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mountain Union's driving out. Somebody pokes it out from behind when Fulford is running. Uh, Hopkins scoops and scores, and then it's fourteen six going into the half. So, in the in the context of Fulford, then he he forced a uh, through late over the middle, had Hill. Streaking into the end zone, wide open on the post, threw it so late that two Hopkins guys crossed and one cut in front of the other, but either one could have intercepted it. He threw a ball in the end zone that was, um, I don't know if it was ill-advised or poorly thrown, just wasn't a a good idea. Um, Because at the time, I wish I had the context on the top of my head, but basically um, there was no, no reason to be risking a turnover at that point because Mountain Union, I think, has a, is either up two scores or has a chance to add a field goal to go up two scores. I forget the exact context, but the three interceptions, not great interceptions. And so what people in the Mountain Union press box on the Mountain Union sidelines are saying, basically, here's a guy who's a, gr- a great quarterback throughout the season, can, can rack up big numbers, has all the physical tools, not a big game quarterback now that's a in one sense it's a really ridiculous thing to say about a guy who won you the national championship last season mm-hmm. had 35 touchdowns and two interceptions coming into saturday's game on the other hand without the two defensive touchdowns that that's a dicey dicey game for mountain union because of the way they played on offense and because of some of the throws that he made so he's got to play better in the stag ball bottom line I don't know if you want to draw the the conclusion, you know, through the through the other big games or not. That's up to you folks out there. Um, but Pat, you read off the numbers. Not very good in big games, and I think right now the Purple Raiders are built to have him throw 20, 25 times 
perhaps, um, and then try to run the ball a lot and, and play great defense. Running the ball with Petroselli taking the direct snap certainly was working for Mount Union on Saturday. Here's Vince Karras to talk more about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's just another guy that, that uh, can, can be a blocker. You know, you're, you're, you're eliminating the guy who's handing the ball off. So um, it's difficult for the defense to get enough guys at, at the point of attack to defend the, the run game um, when you go to that. So, um, you know, I think that's a, it's been a great wrinkle for us the last couple of weeks. And, and Josh has done a great job of, of being poised and, you know, handling the, the snap and, and, and the execution of the play. So, you know, uh, definitely something that, uh, you know, we want to continue to have in our arsenal. How do you like it? I like it a lot. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Getting to play a different position. You got to throw a ball today, too. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't planned, but <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a. Good, it was a great play. He got out of the pocket and uh, threw the thing away and, and uh, turned a potential bad play into, you know, okay, we can we can manage this. So unlike the the similar package that Mary Harden Baylor runs, Mountain Union is not going to throw the ball very often out of this package. Now, now that I've said that, there's probably there's probably something in the playbook where Petroselli throws it and maybe they're holding it for the Stag Bowl, but essentially that's a run play when he's in there for Mountain Union and uh, they don't care if you know, they just say we got one extra blocker. So um, we're going to run it with Petroselli and, uh, and you're going to see what you can do to stop it. He's five, nine, 210 pounds. The guy's calves look like a bodybuilder's bicep. Like he's, he's just, you know, built to run the ball. Um, He did throw it once on Saturday and uh, it was that heads up play that, that Vince talked about. It wasn't a design throw and we kind of laughed about it in the post game, but Basically, a lot of Mountain Union's best running on Saturday against Johns Hopkins. I, I, Hopkins was stout against the run. They, their, their base run stuff wasn't working. It was the, the Fulford plays um, where they got the yardage and then Petroselli out of that run package. His numbers were 28 for 110, uh, 3.9 yards per carry. So he wasn't exactly dominant, but they got yards. They were able to move the ball, kill the clock when they had the lead. Uh, Mountain Union did lead from start to finish in that one. And, um, it was a useful run package for them when the rest of their stuff was, was struggling. And of course the stuff that wasn't struggling, of course, as was mentioned already was the defense specifically scoring on defense. Trevor Cox with the pick six in the first half, Gabe Brown with the pick six in the second half. And here he talks about what he experienced in that moment. See ball, get ball. No, but uh, we were in coverage. Uh, I just saw the ball reacted up. We were in cover too. So, I just went and made a play. They uh, must have had everybody else covered because they thought my guy was open. So he just threw the ball in my way, and God allowed me to make the play. So. Could you tell that uh, Tamara got hit when he released it? Oh, not, oh, I saw a float in the air. I just thought he was threw it badly on the run. That's all I thought. I didn't see him get hit. I just shot my eyes to the dude that he was trying to throw it to. And what are you thinking once you get your hands on it? I just heard screams and I blacked out, honestly. Once I got to the end zone, I was just like, wow, I'm here already. <laughs> I mean, you go from potentially being tied back to, to that pretty much it. Yeah, uh, honestly, it was, it was all God. Getting here from being here two years and going to a bread factory, then coming back, breaking my hand in the basically the beginning of the season. Uh, it's been a lot of 
a lot of hope, a lot of faith, and a lot of like working through a lot of things that a lot of people don't have to work through. So, and then their receivers were awesome. So it was just a lot of God in that game. So just a lot of a lot of ups to him. So these championship teams are built with the same sort of guys that a lot of Division three teams are built with. Guys who who struggle not to stay in school because they don't have the grades, but you know, Gabe Brown's story is amazing because he he came from came to Mountain Union for two years, had to go back home and work for a year, then made his way back to Mountain Union, end up becoming a star cornerback. We mentioned this briefly in a previous podcast, but Lewis Berry is the the big play guy, and and Lewis Berry actually was blitzing on the on the Gabe Brown interception return and uh, and hit David Tamaro as he threw along with uh, one of the defensive linemen and that's why the ball didn't make it out of bounds that's why Gabe Brown was able to intercept it but uh, Brown kind of one of those really quintessential d3 stories uh, had to go back to Plant City Florida and work in a bread factory for a year earn his way back to Mount Union get back on the team again he, he's more of the um, I guess the shutdown corner or the, the, the I don't want to say the matchup corner because I don't think Mount Union um, travels its corners but Brown was on uh, Luke McFadden a lot just because he Luke McFadden, the um, Johns Hopkins wide receiver, is a, a big body guy. So I think Gabe Brown is a, um, is a is a pretty cool story. I think we saw Lewis Berry line up in a couple of different places too, right? Not just at corner. Did we see him at safety a little bit too? Yeah, look, Mount Union ran – they must have played like 18 guys on defense on Saturday. They, they run all kinds of um, folks in and out of the lineup. You got the uh, the first of all again it's it's a four two five in name but it looks it presents like a three four a lot of the time so you'll see the three down linemen the big um, and they rotate on the defensive line a- as well so they'll rotate it's usually Resh Adam Pastor the nose tackle Ethan McComb those are the names we'll hear a lot on Friday night but they also use Nate Brunson a lot he made a couple of huge plays in the Johns Hopkins game. Then, uh, then you got the the bandit is Nick Brish, Trey Williams and Danny Robinson. Williams is the huge linebacker. Danny Robinson is the Gallardi Trophy guy. And then you have five defensive backs, and they must use like seven of them. Um, they were bringing in backup corner Jalen Griffin. They were bringing in backup safety Malik Britt. Trevor Cox is the one who had the touchdown. Uh, you you'll remember you'll or you'll hear Austin White's name a lot, and then of course we'll call Barry. And, and Brown a ton of times on Friday night. So you'll get to know literally this whole uh, Mountain Union defensive lineup if you're with us on Friday night. ton of talent up front. The linebackers are solid, and the defensive back are, are really the guys who, who make the turnovers that uh, that have, have changed games for Mountain Union this season. You just reminded me that we're going to be uh, in a new stadium, and I'm going to make sure that I bring my binoculars because uh, you've just uh, you've just put me on the spot for uh, identifying a bunch of guys who I'm not sure how close we're going to be to the uh, to the action when we call that game on Friday night. Oh, one point to help us out here, uh, Lenny Reich, the Mountain Union SID, said that the that Mountain Union is the visitor in this case. Uh, and I guess that makes sense because, because Mayor and Baylor's from Texas, but it's predetermined which, uh, which semifinal winner would be the visitor. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mount Union wears black at home. So my guess is they would wear white or maybe they get second choice in stag bowl. If, if Mary Harden Baylor has its choice, I wonder if they'd wear yellow. This is getting deep in the weeds. Well, they did. And you know, that's how it ended up last year, right? The Mary Harden Baylor was in the yellow. And, and then uh, Mount Union wore black, though, right? Yeah. 
because yellow and white, you know, it is right. It seems like they're both. Anyway, the uh, I'm kind of interested in this only because, like you said, sight lines. Uh, we have no idea what this is going to look like on TV. This is all going to be new to us after 25 years in Salem. Uh, the Stag Bowl was in Salem from since 1993. We've been going every. I've been going every year since 97. D3Football.com has been going every year since 99. So this is like a yearly annual thing for us. We knew our way around Salem, the stadium, the folks who put the game on. They were super friendly to Division Three, and we can never say enough about them. It's time for someone else to have this hosting duty, and this is all new to us. So we'll get there on Thursday for Friday night game, and, and we'll be learning the ropes just like teams that have never been there before. So this is new for Mount Union now. Um, this is new for Mary Harden Baylor. They, they know how to plan this week, but they, they don't know how to get around Shenandoah any more than we do. Time to switch on over to the other game. We'll talk about the Mary Harden-Baylor win over UW-Whitewater by a score of 31-14. to And we welcome back in Kevin Nias. Kevin, uh, again, thanks for, uh, I guess, hanging on the line or whatever. Uh, this game, the second game, one of the things that uh, it was everybody was impressed by, especially the people who hadn't really seen Markeith Miller before, was just the performance of Markeith Miller and how patient he was, especially in that fourth quarter. Tell us a little bit about what you saw. Right. So, uh, you know, everybody sees the running style uh, that he went with yesterday, yesterday, and he was he was he seemed like he was flat footed at the line at times, um, kind of like the uh, Le'Veon Bell um, with with uh, Pittsburgh. But he was very patient. Um, he allowed his blocks to get set up and, and then he, he chose his hole. I thought it was a. Uh, Thought it was really good. I don't know if he was planning on doing that, if it just kind of evolved, but uh, definitely, um, you know, 91 yards in the fourth quarter, it definitely worked out. One of the things about the Mary Harden-Baylor offense that uh, we've seen kind of throughout some of these games is almost like the ability to kind of turn it off and turn it on, right? Go super conservative when you're just trying to run some clock and then, you know, kind of open up the passing game. And even though you know, the Whitewater pass defense didn't really let anybody behind them, I still felt like Jace Hammock did a pretty good job of finding some guys for like medium deep routes. Right. So his line was 14 of 19, but keep in mind, a lot of those were those little short throws with guys crossing his face behind the line of scrimmage, um, just little tosses. He did a really good job. They keep it pretty simple for him, and, and they have great athletes. Um, for instance, um, on the um, the third down in the second quarter, it was third and uh, 14. They ran a slant yeah. um, and completed a slant for a first down. So they do keep it simple. And I, I think that helps. It just lets them get the ball to their athletes and, and then they make plays. We haven't talked about special teams nearly enough so far. I was so surprised that Whitewater ended up punting to Aaron Sims at all and indeed multiple times. And of course, the one that he broke for a 90 yard touchdown. Yeah, I, as a um, as a as a coach, I would probably kick the ball out of bounds there. I you know, I'm not sure. um you know, it was it. It had to have been a mistake. It was a line. It was a line drive punt. He yeah. caught it. Uh, you know, inside the ten, going backwards, um, and just made a. He made a great play. Yeah, everybody in the press box is uh, because he's basically standing on the ten. Everybody in the press box is going, "Let it go!" And I'm like, "It's a line drive. It's right to him. There's no hang time. Why would you not take that and see what you could do with it?" Right. And when you're an athlete, the caliber that Aaron Sims is that he was on on scholarship at Texas A&M, you want that opportunity. And so I'm sure his uh, when he saw the ball coming towards him and saw how far downfield the pursuit was, I'm sure he, he got pretty excited. 
on scholarship at A&M for track, of course. Uh, the run yes. defense, the run defense for Mary Harden Baylor, I thought did a pretty good job against Whitewater. Obviously, you know, Whitewater, uh, you know, ran it often enough that their top two guys could combine for 30 carries for 135 yards. But that's not the kind of day that Whitewater is looking to have at this point in the season. No, and that's not uh, like you said. That's not their DNA, and and you could tell that once the the running game was was stalled out a bit, uh, they were in trouble with the passing game. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor's defensive backs and linebackers play that defense very well. There are some spots in there that you can exploit um, right behind the cornerback, uh, and they did that a few times with Kumaro, but uh, they they were not efficient enough in the passing game. What's your thoughts on the offense when Denarian Thomas is in there? It's a very good offense with Denarian Thomas in there because you essentially have uh, one more blocker. Um, the you're not you don't have the quarterback position, and he and he proved to be a capable thrower on his on his throw yesterday. By all indications that we got out of Mary Harden Baylor on uh, Saturday, it seems like Denarian Thomas will be fine. He did come out of the game. Uh, with a, an apparent knee injury, he was being looked at on the trainer's table on the sidelines, did not go back into the game, but they did not need him back in the game either. Pat, I'm super curious about how these two teams are going to approach the game offensively because both defenses are so good at generating turnovers and points. And if you add Mary Harden Baylor's special teams in there the past couple of weeks, they've had a punt block that uh, changed the, the St. John's game. And then they took a punt back that changed the, whitewater game so between defense and special teams both of these teams mary harden baylor mountain union have a way of of putting points on the board without having to have dominant offense and i think that actually makes the the consternation about mary harden baylor going conservative offensively it may actually make it the smart way for mary harden baylor to play this week because you don't want to be throwing the ball up there with uh with Lewis Berry and Gabe Brown and Trevor Cox and Austin White and all those guys back there in the secondary generating turnovers. So it may actually play into Mary Harden Baylor's hands to to play the kind of conservative style that some of their fans don't like to see them do. Um it may actually be the smart move. That conservative style requires that they get up to an early lead though. Yeah, and it, it takes the ball out of Jace Hammock's hands, right? If you have a guy who's been able to throw the ball down the field during the season. They don't have to do it um, every play, but they do it when they need to. And they, they can make, you know, they've got speed on the outside. Maybe they should take advantage of it. They've got a, they've got guys who can streak down the field and, and make a 50-yard play. Look, Johns Hopkins moved the ball against them. Luke McFadden had a couple of tremendous catches along the sideline. There were um, there were plays to be had. And obviously, Tamaro's got, got a rocket arm and, and – Jay Samick is going to have to play that well to, to find his open receivers, but he also has a ton of talent on the flanks. Kevin talked about how a lot of Hammock's passes were pretty short passes. There were a lot of passes in the flat. Uh, K.J. Miller, uh, they were throwing a, a bunch to him. He had seven catches for 20 yards, for example. But uh, a couple of uh, strikes down the field. The one that uh, Kevin was talking about was, a, I think, a pass to John L. Reed. T.J. Josie, yeah, he's still there. Uh, and, again, because you know they weren't letting guys uh, – Whitewater wasn't let guys letting guys get behind them. That kind of takes some of uh, you know Josie's ex- explosiveness away. But there's definitely those uh, there's definitely those weapons uh, at the receiver spot. And for Mary Harden Baylor, they've now played St. John's and Whitewater, right? Two really good defenses. So they're going into this one having been tested and having to 
the past couple of weeks, had to figure out how to score, how to move the ball, how to control the clock against defenses that aren't going to give you free plays. That aren't, you, you can't just run past these guys or you can't just run through or run over these teams. You have to be creative. And I thought for Mountain Union, Saturday was the first time they couldn't just run past everybody. They couldn't just you know, call a base run play, gain seven yards, eight yards a pop. They had they were struggling for yards. They had to be creative offensively. There were throws that are probably there during the season for for Fulford that weren't there on Saturday. And he's got to internalize that, take the ones that are there, and then tuck it and run, uh, or occasionally, you know, eat a sack um when when it's not there. And that's not something that he has to do very often because his offensive line keeps him super clean. And when things break down, when everything's covered, he's so skilled at taking off and running and making a 10-yard loss into a 20-yard gain uh, by, by not getting sacked and turning it into, into something. Um, those I, I, The Mary Harden-Baylor defense is going to be so fast. I think he just can't, he just can't be lofting the ball up there, um, except for maybe you know if you want to take a shot to Justin Hill every now and again and see if he can win a jump ball, fine. But other than that, uh, he's got to be on point. Let's talk about the teams who lost on Saturday. Big picture coming out of the season for Johns Hopkins, and then we'll talk about Whitewater. Everybody says you get to the semifinals. Uh, Brockport said this last year. We're gonna get. We're gonna take the next step the year after, right? So this is that was the prevailing kind of sentiment around Johns Hopkins that they went up to Mountain Union. They had a shot. They represented themselves well. They represented their program well. They represented the Centennial Conference well. Um, They've got a lot of talented freshmen, guys that were contributing, younger guys. They got Tamara back. And I think when you have an elite quarterback, as long as you you have that guy, you got a chance. Hopkins, of course, they've been winning for years. They've been recruiting on top of winning for years. So um, it's not like they don't have classes already in the pipeline and another class coming in that's going to be pretty good. But I don't think you can just assume that they get back to this level next year and can just jump to the stag bowl. So I, I think that um, – Certainly start next season in the top 10. I mean, I, I think anybody who just knew Johns Hopkins as a name and then got to see them play on Saturday or like we did, we got to see them play a week earlier against RPI. If you got to see them late in the season because they lost a game early this season, I think they were yeah. below where they normally are on the radar. And it took these this playoff run for them to really get on the radar. But once you see guys in person like Tamaro, um, I mean, they're going to lose Stuart Walters. They're going to lose – uh, Luke McFadden, I believe, is a senior, but they had a lot. A lot of their guys that played really well are young and will be back. I thought uh, the tight end Emmett Turner had a great game, and I think there are there are plenty of guys in this in the Johns Hopkins program to give them confidence that they can get back to this level and perhaps break through next season or perhaps be a team that gets to the quarterfinals, semifinals, year to year. But I don't think we can we can just assume that they're the best team out of the East next year. On the other side, Whitewater, of course, breaking back through to the national semifinals, now kind of back in the position where they were, you know, the year after Leipold left, right? They go to the semifinals and they have a particularly, a, not a particularly competitive game against Mountain Union in that semifinal. Then they lose in the quarterfinals and we've kind of been through the uh, the whole spiral down to which I uh, declared them, uh, it was a, I think it was, a, I come not to bury Whitewater, but to praise them, right? In uh, week five of the uh, of 2017, I went and looked up the podcast to make sure that that actually did happen. So that's the, you know, this is a big uh, step back forward for them. And Kevin Bullis talked about it at the end of Saturday's news conference. A year ago in 17, we were one and three. 
and a pretty dismal time. But our 17 seniors and our, at that time, 18 seniors, that was our junior-senior class, um, put six wins, um, six conference wins. We play a very tough conference. And uh, they picked us up. They picked everything up, and they picked this program up and respected the legacy of our program and uh, have driven us to this point, uh, to a, a season of, uh, I guess, 13-1. and one. Um into getting to this point, I, I can't explain my appreciation to them and, and what they've done in leaving that legacy and, and uh, building and allowing us to serve as a platform to push forward to 19, Pat. And, and that, you're, you're right. I mean, getting back on the scene. And uh, we are back on the scene. They're back on the scene, Keith. They are. And I don't know if it's a, it's a bad place to be where – Mountain Union and Mary Harden Baylor are the only two teams in the country that are better than you. You know, Oshkosh was in this spot last season where they were clearly one of the three best teams in the country. They had Mountain Union on the ropes, let that game get away, um, had a chance to win it at the end. didn't. Mary Harden Baylor, Mountain Union play in the Stag Bowl. Oshkosh finishes number three. I I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you're mad at that except for, we thought we had the potential to get to the Stag Bowl and win it, and you didn't. I was listening to uh, Cool 106.5 as I was driving away from um, Mountain Union Stadium in Alliance yesterday. I, I didn't want to watch and drive. Felt like that would be a recipe for a disaster. So I, I listened to the uh, to the broadcast, and that, that was the, the whitewater sentiment that when they step back and look back at the season to go from seven and three, back to a, a national semifinalist. They certainly will be disappointed that they didn't make the Stag Bowl, but they, they are back, and only two teams can get to the Stag Bowl. So if you have three great teams, if you have four, if you want to count St. John's, five if you want to count Johns Hopkins, if you have five great teams in the country, somebody's going to have to be happy with their season, even though they only made it to the quarters or to the semis. Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance. <laughs> Now is the time on podcast when we go to Twitter. And uh, we had uh, a question come in via email. The guy said, hey, listen, I don't have Twitter, but I'd like to do this, uh, get this question on the podcast. And that sounds good to me. So the uh, question from Les Williams says, based on the way Fulford struggled throwing the football and UMHB's proclivity for intercepting passes, do you expect to see more design quarterback runs as well as Petroselli in at the Wildcat more next Friday at the Stag Bowl? I think you're definitely going to see the uh, the Petroselli package. Um I refrain from calling it Wildcat because they do it balanced. They have a basically double tight 12 personnel. I guess you call it right. Two, two tight ends are in the game. They'll, so they'll basically go six linemen. Petricelli is, uh, you know, they're still two wide receivers. They'll have a, a back back in the backfield sometimes with Petricelli. Um, I think that package is great. You'll see that a lot. Um, Design QB runs, not necessarily to, to Fulford, but um, Mountain Union runs a lot of read option. And anytime you get that defensive end crashing too hard, uh, Fulford can pull it. And when he turns the corner, it's not going to be a three-yard run. He's going to turn the corner and, and get, give you 10, 12, 15, 20 yards. So the, the, he doesn't pull it very often because I think Mountain Union wants uh, Petroselli to uh, to get the carries. But, but um, when he does, it, it's dangerous. I think – that question, and by the way, anybody who puts proclivity in their question, we should take that question every week. Uh, Les 
Les Williams clearly pays attention to either the podcast or watches the games or whatever because um, it's a a a, a mountain. Uh, it's a Mary Harden Baylor question, but he knows Petroselli, he knows who Fulford is, he knows their tendencies. So I, I think what we'll see on Friday night is Mountain Union do what it does. In other words, I don't think you're going to see a bunch of new plays thrown in for this game. You may they, every every coaching staff worth its salt has trick plays, gadget plays that they work on all season. They may, you know you may they may have run it back in week three, and you you work on them in practice here and there, but you don't necessarily pull them out until you need them. They, you may see that if they're struggling, you know something weird like a halfback pass or a um, you know like Petroselli throwing out of, out of this this uh, direct snap package, um, double passes or, um, reverses or things like that. You may, you may see, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of, um, changes in the game plan. Stag bowl week, Mountain Union knows this as well as anyone, but it's, it's a short week. So Saturday to Friday turnaround. The only time teams will do that all season. It's finals week at Mountain Union. I, I don't know if it is at Mary Harden Baylor as well, but I would assume so. So you got Monday, Tuesday, everybody's trying to get their finals taken. Because you got to, Mount Union's case, got to get on a plane. Um, Mary Harden Baylor doesn't have that problem necessarily. Got to get everything in. So you're basically, it's just a super condensed week. Don't think you have time to add stuff. You're really just refining. So the game plan you see will be the game plan that looks like uh, other ones we've seen from Mount Union. Mary Mary Harden Baylor has tape on them from last Stag Bowl. And, of course, they'll get to look at – Saturday semifinal as well. So I, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of new stuff. And uh, I don't think you'll see design QB runs. I, I think you will see a uh, a semi-conservative game plan, and it'll feature a lot of Josh Petroselli. We also got a question on Twitter that was basically directed at you, Keith, asking if uh, Mountain Union's defense, which has 15 touchdowns on the season, outscored some uh, Division three team's entire offense for the year. The answer to that question is yes. 13 teams in Division Three, scored fewer than 15 touchdowns. One scored exactly 15. That's your alma mater, Pat. The Catholic scored 15 touchdowns this season. Um, all these teams, by the way, and 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 they're right there from Belhaven to Kenyon to Kane. They're all over the place. Maine, Maritime, Occidental. The teams that scored fewer than 15 touchdowns this season, they all won either one and nine, zero and ten, zero and eight, zero and nine. Uh, the only team that won. More than two teams won multiple games. Bellhaven went two and eight by scoring 14 touchdowns. And then Southern Virginia somehow managed to win three games by scoring only 14 touchdowns this season. But uh, but the answer to the question from Doug Bowers, which came from a stat that uh, that Jeffrey Subancic, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. All, all these times, all these years, I just read it. Um, he, he tweeted out the stat that Mount Union scored 15 defensive touchdowns this season. And uh, yes, that is more than some entire offenses in D3. Thanks for the Twitter questions. You can always uh, throw us a Twitter question at the right time by hitting us uh, at D3Football using the D3FB hashtag when we get ready to go into the podcast studio, which we won't be doing on Sunday nights now for quite some time. But we'll have a uh, post-game podcast, of course, on Friday. This is like a three-podcast week for us, Keith. We've got Sunday and then we've got uh, Thursday. We'll record a game day podcast, and then Friday night we're recording a, a game day, uh, a game reaction podcast. Yeah, this really the season wrap up too, and that's the one where after we talk about the stag bowl, we'll get a little nostalgic and remember the the highs from this season, which 
weren't just uh, the Stag Bowl. Uh, there'll be, I don't know, if, say like some team of a fairly decent conference champion, maybe when eight and two blows up the entire uh, bracket by <laughs> by upsetting somebody in the first round. That might come up in the in the season in review. I'm not I'm not saying necessarily committing to it, but highly that's, probable. That's an interesting. So we'll, we'll get to do all that stuff. That's an interesting hypothetical. Yeah, look, look, this is a heavy, heavy podcast week. But the thing I I continue to love about Division Three season starts very end of August or the very beginning of September. Games every week, obviously eleven week season. Teams get a buy. Five week playoff, done. Ten days in this case, right? Eleven days before Christmas. Um, Hanukkah is already going on, so if you're hoping to get it done before. Hanukkah, that, that's not happening, but done before Christmas. I don't even put the tree up in my house, no lie, until after I get back from the stag bowl trip. My family knows that. I, I am terrible at multitasking, so I have to compartmentalize. It's it's like my birthday, wife birthday, Thanksgiving, son birthday, um, then the stag bowl trip, then we can put the Christmas tree up and I can start Christmas shopping. The nice thing is you have almost an extra entire week to do Christmas shopping this year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a a very early end to the season. I when I looked this up, and it was probably in, you know, September, or October, when I requested the days off from work. I was like, am I even requesting the right day? Like December fourteen seems way early. Every thought of yours is a friend of mine. Pat, if we ever need a reminder why we should doing this and, and first i appreciate everyone who stops us when we're on site thanking us for what we do for division three we you know we do it for you not just for the players and coaches and, and staffs of, of colleges right we do it for the fans who really care about this level of football and need a professional level of coverage to match it but pat i'm also reminded that not everybody follows obsessively as you or i or the folks who download and listen to the podcast every week thank you by the way rate review and subscribe There are people who follow one team or one conference, perhaps fairly obsessively. They know they know things. They're not they're not uneducated about Division three football, but just don't know the 250 schools all that well. So I'm on the sidelines at Mountain Union and a person wearing a purple Raiders hat. That's as far as I'll go with the identification. Ask another person clearly rooting for Mountain Union. Where's Johns Hopkins? Is that like uh, New York, New Jersey? And the guy says it's in Maryland. He's like, yeah, Maryland, Maryland, New York, New Jersey, whatever. I was close. And that's just like, man, you can't, these guys are your opponent in the semifinal. You never, never even heard of them before. Yeah, apparently they've never heard of like medical research or never followed Division One lacrosse either. Uh, I got to see former Mary Harden Baylor president Jerry Bauckham again. If you are not familiar with the Jerry Bauckham story, my favorite Jerry Bauckham story. I'm going to say Jerry Bauckham one more time is uh, Pat Cummings, who was doing the sideline for us in the 2004 Stag Bowl and uh, years before that and after that, talked to Jerry Bauckham. Between the first quarter and the second quarter of that game, he was uh, the uh, between quarters interview. Uh, Pat goes walking up in the stands with a wireless mic, finds him and asks him a couple questions, one of which uh, he basically answers uh, like he is completely out of breath after that exhilarating first quarter of watching his you know, the program at his school, which had been playing for, I think, basically seven years at that time, be in the Stag Bowl. And I've used that quote from there, which is uh, in a story which I wrote in like 2005. And we keep rolling out there. Anyway, 
Jerry Bauckham. He's still very much involved at Mary Harden Baylor. Also chatted with uh, Josh Welch's dad. If you remember that Mary Harden Baylor 04 team beyond, say, Justin Bryson, you'll remember Josh is the quarterback for that team. So I ran into two Johns Hopkins folks in the Cleveland airport. And um, the first guy was on the, the um, shuttle bus with me. And I uh, had a Hopkins sweatshirt on, so I had to, to, to you know, ask him what he thought about the game. And uh sounded like he'd, he'd followed the site a little bit and been reading on it because he says to me, so maybe it was four elite teams in the uh, semifinals, not just Mary Harden, Baylor, Mountain Union, and, uh, and oh, Johns Hopkins. So uh, clearly I had gotten under some Johns Hopkins folks' skin by saying that, not necessarily um, – backing off it but I do think Johns Hopkins went to Mount Union represented itself well played a game where they they could have beaten them um there were some people who thought that uh that maybe Hopkins should have won that game I don't I mean they Mount Union led from start to finish so I don't know if it should have won is right but the uh statistically Mount Union only outgained Hopkins by eight yards 375 367 so thought Hopkins played well uh, that was one of the, the Hopkins folks I ran into in the Cleveland airport. Then I'm going through security and um, TSA is making a conversation with the guy behind me who I didn't realize was was from Hopkins until I hear him say this. He says, yeah, but all they have is football to look forward to. They'll be working for us someday. And in my head, I'm like, damn, that is mean. Like, even if you believe that <laughs> to say it out loud, and I'm sure you're just kind of like venting from uh from, from losing such an important game, but it's that it was just super mean thing to say. I thought, man, it's it's un, uh, unexpected to hear that from a like an actual grown up, right? It, it, that's the sort of thing that maybe you might. No, I'm not going to name schools. That seems like a bad idea. Okay, let's see. Yeah. While we're on the travel log uh, stories, remind me never to make that drive from Dallas to Belton, Texas again. No matter how much more it costs me to fly into Austin, I'm going to have to always fly into Austin. I keep flying into DFW because DFW is a little bit cheaper and there's a lot more flights available from Minneapolis to Dallas. But that drive is awful. It's like two hours and 20 minutes and the way my week has been, I've had basically no sleep all week and I just felt like I was going to you know, end up in a retaining wall or something like that multiple times. I had to get off the road multiple times to just like breathe and get some fresh air. I hate that drive. I'm never doing that drive again. I will tell you that uh, I'm not a fan of, of dozing off at a rest stop, but I have done it on that stretch of, uh, of 35, I believe. Right. It's 35. Yeah, it's 35. Yeah. I've, I've, I've pulled over and taken a 30 minute nap on that stretch. Cause it, uh, it is a, uh, it's a heck of a, any drive after a game, you you know, you've been kind of running around all day. It's always, always no fun. So yeah, the closer the airport, the better. I heard some gl- grumbling in the, uh, in the Mountain Union press box and uh, in the crowd about the Texas air quotes. You can't see me doing these air quotes, but the, the home game in the Stag Bowl and uh, for Mountain for Mary Harden Baylor, they, they certainly do have a little bit of an advantage in that they don't have to get on a plane and travel this week. Although Shenandoah is in the Houston area, Mary Harden Baylor is in Belton, which is between what Austin and Waco in Central Texas. So not a it's not like a, a um, walking distance. They don't have to board a plane. They don't have to leave quite as early as Mountain Union, and they should have a lot more support in the stadium because Mary Harden Baylor fans 
I mean, any you know, if you send your kid to Mary Harden Baylor and, and the national championship is in the state of Texas, whether you're coming from El Paso or Odessa or you know Corpus Christi or Port Arthur or something like wherever you're coming from, right? You're driving to Shenandoah for this, so should be a lot of a lot of support. And there was some grumbling from uh, from folks who who clearly were were rooting for Mountain Union about that Texas home game being an advantage uh, as opposed to to playing in a neutral site in Salem, but. Um, for one, Mary Harden, I mean, Mount Union probably going to have the same advantage again in a couple of years when the Stag Bowl moves to Canton. And it's uh, there are there, there's one nice advantage to, to playing in Texas. The weather forecast on Thursday is at a high of 70, uh, although Friday looks like the low is 41. So that's quite a range. And maybe by game time, it'll be cold and rainy and not all that much better than it would have been in Salem. Virginia on Stag Bowl Day, but uh, we could get a lot better weather. Yeah, as long as the world doesn't end before December of 2020, I don't think uh, Mountain Union fans are entitled to complain about there being a couple of Stag Bowls in Texas. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 231, season 12, episode 32, released on December 10th of 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for all the coverage we're going to have this week, uh, including the D3Football.com All-America team, which will be announced on our pregame show on Friday night, December 14th. Don't miss it. That's the first announcement you'll hear. If you like this podcast, like Keith said earlier, please consider rating it. You could do that in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, the, you know, the places where podcasts are. They usually allow you to rate it, so please do that so you can help other football fans find it. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, and you can find more of his music at djmentos.com. Thanks uh, to our guest, Kevin Nias, for his time in uh, helping us put together this edition of the show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. 97. Ethan McComb. Uh, four. Uh, DeMarco Haynes. Yeah, I know this is easy. It really should go the other way around. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.